Welcome to the Show Up Fitness Podcast, where great personal trainers are made. We are changing the fitness industry one qualified trainer at a time with our in-person and online personal training certification. If you want to become an elite personal trainer, head on over to showupfitness.com. Also, make sure to check out my book, How to Become a Successful Personal Trainer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a great day and keep showing up. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to the Show Up Fitness Podcast. Today, we're going to be addressing tight hips or pinching on the anterior side of that hip. What is going on? We're going to go over the anatomy, some great exercises. Before we do that, though, let's recognize the podcast being in the top 3% globally. How cool is that? We're a little over 100 days in. We've done more than 50 podcasts. Awesome special guests. Over 100 five-star ratings on podcasts, also Spotify. So make sure to get in there, leave us a five-star review so we can continue to grow. I really want to get a whiskey sponsorship. I've been reaching out to places, Four Roses. I would love to be doing these, sipping on some Pappy Van Winkle. The day will come. That is my BHAG, big, hunky, audacious goals. I want to be sipping on a $3,000 bottle of Pappy Van Winkle while I'm educating the masses on how to help people more efficiently. The word of the day, the muscle of the day, is going to be the gluteus maximus. We just started our hip anatomy semester, so we'll have one month addressing everything around the hip. There's more than 40 muscles that originate or insert around the hip. For the show up in a CPT, you need to be able to name and identify 20 So you have four in the quads, three in the hamstrings, three adductor muscles, three glute muscles, and then you have seven muscles around the calf. You need to be able to say that within 15 minutes along with 17 muscles of the shoulder, core movement patterns, agonist and synergist, and then design a program. The glutes are an amazing muscle, very powerful. If you were to grab rockets and throw it on the human organism, you would put them right where the glutes are. Very thick dense, predominantly type 2 musculature. They're going to externally rotate. So pretend like you're peeing on a fire hydrant. Little Fido has to go pee, whoop, whoop, lifts up his leg. That is external rotation. The glutes, upper fibers work with that. Then you have extension in the sagittal plane, which is bringing the leg behind the body. In the frontal plane, we have abduction, the upper fibers. And then the lower fibers work with that posterior pelvic tilt. Show me that belt buckle. Those are the four actions of the gluteus maximus. The word of the day, basing it off of glutes, glute amnesia. And this term was coined by Dr. Stu McGill. Stu is under a lot of scrutiny due to the studies that he's performed with pig spines and spinal flexion, essentially like a credit card. If you bend it a certain amount of times, it will break. And so people will therefore conclude that anytime we flex the spine or bend over, we are going to die. And it's not as simple as that. The body is very amazing. It's adaptable. It's resilient. And what he coined was this glute amnesia. And he's a very, very smart individual. He's done a lot of great stuff for the fitness industry, low back pain. I highly suggest his book, Low Back Disorders. He has some great testing on the lateral side, testing the QL, also the trunk extensors. I would highly suggest reading a lot of his information, but when it comes to spinal flexion, we have to be a little skeptical because we're not that delicate. So glute amnesia, I believe I understand what he was trying to convey 
We are sagittal creatures. As I just said, the glutes work in all planes of motion. So if we're not doing frontal exercises, unilateral exercises, stabilizing in the frontal plane, externally rotating, then what happens is they don't do their job efficiently. Now, you'll have popular sports icons like Tiger Woods say, I have glute amnesia, that's why my back's not working. And so unfortunately, fitness professionals, medical professionals recognize that that term shouldn't really be identifying why we have low back pain because low back pain is multifactorial. Glute amnesia is not a real term. If you do hear of it, that's what they're referencing. So that's a little history for you. Now you know what the glutes do. You're familiar with glute amnesia. If you want to hop in and learn more about this, we have a two-week free trial. You can learn everything about programming, anatomy, the trade skills, business skills, people skills, and how to become a successful personal trainer. Two weeks free. Find an organization who has a certification, like Show Up Fitness does, that is offering that. That's how confident we are that we have the best product, and we will help you get hired wherever you want to go. Lifetime, Equinox 24, F45, Orange Theory, start your own gym. Whatever it is, we will help you. You get to talk with fitness professionals. We'll help you with resumes, interviews. You name it, we will help you. Alrighty, you have a client in front of you, you're doing the assessment, they tell you they have tightness in their hips. Your mind needs to start calculating like those famous memes on Instagram with Alan from The Hangover doing all these mathematical calculations. In my experience, we need to dig deeper, but the low-hanging fruit when it comes to tightness of the hips and also pinching is we do a lot of exercises bilaterally. What is the individual doing? I'll ask them, oh, tell me more about when did it start and what have you been doing? Well, I've been doing a lot of squatting. I took a body pump class and I'm doing 38,000 reps per day. And I love to do hack squats and leg presses and leg curls and leg extensions. And oh yeah, I also like to do more squats at the end of my workout. Everything is bilateral. Talk to me about exercises that you perform unilaterally. Oh, I do walking lunges, half-assed with bad form. So before I start diagnosing, you know, we're not clinicians, but my mind is starting to formulate, I bet you that this individual doesn't do a lot of concentric hip flexion exercises, and we're not activating the glutes optimally, we're not getting into the frontal plane, we're not doing external rotation because we're doing a lot of bilateral stuff. I'll let the client educate me on their exercise history, eliminate any red flags through the parkour medical history stuff. And then I'm going to bring them on the floor and do a hip scour test. I let them know beforehand that this is very, very common. We're going to be able to help you. We work with a great team of therapists, dietitians. We have the best certification and internship program in the world. And what that does is it helps give your client confidence in you knowing what you're doing. A hip scour test is in a supine position on the ground, so they're facing up. You're going to have one leg straight. You're going to grab the other leg. You always ask before you touch a client. If I was going to be working with my client's left leg, my right hand would be on their calf. My left hand would be above their knee at a flexed position. And I just want them to relax. And I'm going to move their hip around. I'm going to bring it into full flexion. We should be able to get to roughly 130 degrees with the knees bent, which is above the belly button. And then I'm going to open it up externally. And I'm just going to feel around. It takes practice to understand what you're looking for. But you will find that you will hit like a wall. 
and that is the hip socket, the acetabellum of the pelvis. And the femur articulates with that. The femur, the largest bone in the human body, articulates with the acetabellum, 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 whatever, and it creates this ball and socket joint. So I want to see the range of motion that this individual has. And then what I'm looking for is, is this hip more retroverted or antiverted? Retro, I think back in the day, is like more externally rotated. The head should articulate posteriorly and insert anteriorly roughly at 130 degrees. But you're going to find everyone isn't the same. Some clients are six feet tall with short torsos and long femurs. Some have very long torsos and short femurs. It depends on the individual. So we need to screen and see what that hip looks like. My bet is one would probably be retroverted, so it's more externally rotated, and then one is antiverted. And so then what we'd want to do is if we were to squat, have them show you their squat stance. Nine times out of 10, they're going to be parallel or in this fixed position. I like to close their eyes, turn around three times, try to make them smile, loosen up. And then I'm going to say, if you could jump as high as you can, what would that stance look like? There you go. That's how you squat. I went to a seminar probably about 10 years ago, and Dean Somerset was one of the guest speakers with Tony Gentlecourt. And we were doing a squat portion, and he came over to me and said, how do you feel when you squat? And I said, ah, it's okay. And he could tell I was a little hesitant. So he said, let's see what you're doing. And I set up just like the NSCA tells you, 10 to 15 degrees with your feet externally rotated. And he said, how'd that feel? I said, not, not the best. He said, I want you to move your right foot out and your left foot up and out. So I was definitely more of a staggered stance with one more externally rotated than the other. And I did my squat. And immediately I was like, wow, I felt great. And he says, that's how you squat. And I was like, boom, holy shit. A bomb just went off in my head. And I really started to think, wow, maybe we don't need to be all squatting the same way. And from there on out, I would adjust people's stance and play around with it. What feels best for you? What does the force production look like? I'm not getting crazy with the efficacy of allowing for knee valgus. I like my clients to squat with their knees tracking over their big toe and little toe. If you have a little bit of valgus, it's not the end of the world. If they're having a hard time getting that full depth, I may put them on blocks, work with ankle dorsiflexion. But for the most part, our clients are general pop. So they just need to find a squat stance that works for them. The hip scour test is in your back pocket to really separate you from the average trainer. They never do stuff like that. There is a purpose behind it. If I find that one hip doesn't go as deep, I will then modify that single leg stance for the squat. And now I will check out their squat. We find out that depth that they can get to with the right foot position. And then I'm now going to get into some mobility drills. Let's check off the lower body checkpoints. So the ankle, the knee, the hip. For the 10 checkpoints, we have the lumbar, thoracic, and cervical, shoulder, elbow, wrist, and then making sure we're breathing properly. So maybe I'll do a hip 90-90, work with internal, external rotation. It's very common for them to cramp up because neurologically, the what's referred to as a motor engram hasn't been established. So by practicing this exercise, it's going to become easier and the hips will begin to open up. From there, I like to get the core going. So we do a front plank, side plank, some rotations, 
And then I'm going to do some single leg stuff. I love single leg bridges. Do a bird dog working contralaterally if you want to do a dead bug. Then my go-to fixer upper of hip issues using the latex rubber band slash TheraBand, not the booty band, those are too thick. I like the smaller rubber ones. Put it on your feet, and then I'm going to flex my hip into a sprinter's position, hold for a second, abduct out, and then eccentrically control the trailing leg. And this is a beautiful exercise because go back to what we said earlier on what the glutes do. We're flexing at the hip, so we're working the psoas major, which we typically do not train under load. When I abduct, I'm getting my glutes fired up, but because the band is on my toes, I have to externally rotate. So I'm training the hip in two ways that we typically do not train, going out and then getting that external rotation. And then additionally, with deflection, you're hitting muscles that aren't used to being trained in all planes of motion. I'll do a few of those reps. And before you know it, with the single leg bridges and that hip flexion exercise with the band, your clients are like, wow, I feel a lot better. Complement that with the core activation, the planks, three, four exercises, my clients are ready to start lifting. So here's what a program would look like for someone who had some hip issues. And maybe it was a little more complex than the exercises, the mobility drills, the hip scour test that we gave. I may eliminate for the time being a couple weeks, maybe even a month or so, bilateral movements. Granted, if I'm working with a power lifter or Olympic lifter, you would have to make sure it works with their long-term programming. But for general pop, I'm going to challenge them and say, well, why do you have to back squat? Why do you have to do a leg press? How often do you implement unilateral exercises? So when we look at the mechanisms for hypertrophy, we want to optimize tension first. We have damage in the metabolic stress. Typically, we like that at the end, higher reps. Let's start out by doing a CCA. This will be a full body workout but I'm gonna do a reverse lunge with the barbell first, maybe do 12 and then second set do 10, load it up for eight. This would be someone who's been training before. If it was a beginner, I would regress the exercise, lighter loads and more reps, which would strengthen the connective tissue and allow for optimal neuromuscular communication. That's that motor engramming that I was referencing earlier. But for hunk's sake or hunk ed, if you're listening to this, let's pretend like they're intermediate. So I'm going to swap out the bilateral exercises for now, and we're going to do everything unilateral, beginning with reverse lunge, 12-8-10. I would do the second C being a chin-up or a push-up. You decide with your environment, and then do some planking exercises. Three rounds, four if they can handle it. Moving on to the second circuit. Let's steal an exercise from Miss Katie Sonier, who we had a great podcast with, Queen Hunkett. Let's do a single leg landmine thrust. She was doing 345 for reps, so I had to try it out. And holy butt fuck, that is a crazy exercise. Kind of hard to set up, but you really feel it in the glutes. If you do feel it in the hamstrings more, modify your foot stance. You can throw your toes up in the air. Like that exercise, I'd keep the same cadence, 12, 10, 8, and complement it with the antagonist of what you did in that first set. So if you did a push, then do a pull. If you did a pull, pull pull-ups in the first one, then the second group, you would do a push. And then I'll do some type of isolation work, maybe some more band exercises or some Nordics or reverse Nordics. And that third circuit, I would do some loaded step-ups. Maybe you do four sets. You do two in the sagittal, two in the frontal. And we're going to complement that with a shoulder exercise, so a landmine press. 
and then we're going to do another isolation exercise. So if it's trainer engagement, I love doing abductions on a bench or the ground. Trainer is going to push at the knee, not at the ankle. I see a lot of people will push at the ankle, which could just put unwanted stress on the medial or lateral portion of the knee. We don't need that, so why would we push at that angle? That's just biomechanics. I prefer to protect the knee by placing my hand on their knee, my hand on their hip. Make sure to ask permission before you touch your client. Don't be groping your client's ass and posting it on social media. You have a bunch of people calling you out for being a creeper. No, you need to have what they call spirit hands. So my hands are up, and it's going to be on that ASIS bone, which is the anterior superior iliac spine. I'm bracing my left hand. I'm pressing on my right hand. Those eccentrics are fire for the glutes, and we're getting in the frontal plane. And there is your beautiful leg workout that is specific to someone who has hip pain, but now we do unilateral stuff. Hell, they come back the next day or two days later. They don't feel that tightness or that pinching, you could start throwing in some jumps that are unilateral, some ice skaters, or you can do some single leg hops. There's so much us qualified trainers can be doing for our clients. Don't try to put everyone into a squat, a deadlift, leg press, or whatever exercise it is. If there's pain, modify it. Look at your client's facial expression and you will know you hit a home run when asking in the beginning, they dig their thumb into the front side of their hip. And, oh, it's right in here. Oh, I don't know what it is. We're not, it's the TFL. I don't fucking know exactly what it is. I tell my clients, you're going to come in with a cold and I'm going to give you 15 medications and you're going to feel better. And then my clients are going to come back and say, oh my God, which one was it? I don't fucking know. It was one of those things. But I know you're going to feel better because I understand movement. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to diagnose you with internal rotation of the hip and it's because your your TFL is overactive and we need a static stretch or a duct. Fuck you. No, we don't do that. We look at movement, we regress it to make it optimal for that individual and then we progress it. Take that low-hanging fruit, worst case scenario, you can't figure it out. You have a team, physical therapists, registered dietitians, psychologists, massage therapists, you can consult with them. Use the holidays to your advantage. Invite them all to your gym. If you work at an Equinox or Lifetime, get them in at the front desk. Know when the aerobics room is going to be empty. Do a little social hour for your clients. Don't get in trouble by taking shots and doing weird shit. Bring in the professional. See how they move. Let them know that they have this team. Give out prizes, gold stars. Maybe you do a white elephant. Keep it PC within reason. Or you could go to one of your client's houses. I've done that before here in Santa Monica. Client has an amazing four-bedroom spot on 2nd Street. We had a Christmas event there. White elephant. Drinking, eating, having an amazing time. Had them bring potential clients there. Networking within my community. That's what you need to do as a great trainer. I know for a fact you found this podcast helpful. So do us a big favor, throw this into your social media, give it five stars, let people know that there is a podcast out there to help trainers or aspiring trainers. You do not have to do the old methodology of getting a textbook certification. That's setting you up for failure. 90% of textbook trainers quit within the first year. Let people know there's an alternative. You can ask questions. You can learn anatomy. You understand movement. So when you do a case example on a client or an assessment, you're selling at a higher rate, you're building your business, and you're turning your passion for fitness into a sustainable career. And that's exactly what we teach you when you show up.
shoot me an email so we can answer your questions at Chris. My biceps are bigger than yours and I'm a hunk at showupfit. Ah, I'm just joking. That's not my email. It's just Chris at showupfitness.com. Yes, that is my actual email. Send me an email. I want to know how I can help you, whether if it's a case example, your insecurities on turning your passion for fitness into a career. Maybe you have some issues getting over a bench press or a squat. Maybe you have love issues. I would love to discuss them all because that's what we are here for, to help you not only become a better fitness professional, but a better human. Have a great day, y'all, and keep showing up.